Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. I've got a special episode this week, which details five completely different cases, but all of them have one thing in common. Do you ever look in your cupboards and think, oh man, I should really throw some shit away. Then you pick out five cheap plastic takeaway containers that you haven't used in three years, that the lids are long lost, but you still can't throw them away because you might need them someday for storing organic honey when you finally put those old beehives together that you got at a yard sale two summers ago that are stacked up in the backyard covered in snakes and weeds. This is how 60-year-old Bruce Andrew Roberts used to think as well. Bruce was a homeowner in Greenwich, Sydney, Australia, but his was different from all of his neighbors. His house had mass amounts of stuff piled up around it, and he even built a fence and then lined the top of it with barbed wire. Nobody had seen inside his home in a very long time, as he was estranged from his family and he kept to himself mostly. Neighbors would see him usually once a day walking to the shops and pharmacies. Um, That's about all they knew about him. In 2017, a neighbor realized, hey, I haven't seen seen old Brucey in a while. She, yeah, she noticed she hadn't seen Bruce in a while. And uh, she was worried that maybe something had happened to him. So she called police. July 21st, 2017, police and emergency services break down two locks on the door and push their way into Bruce's house through mounting clutter. The clutter was floor to ceiling high, covering windows and obstructing doors. There was hardly any room to move around in the home. It was jam-packed. Bruce, well, Bruce was a hoarder. Hoarding, as of 2013, is now classified as a mental health disorder. That is a subtype of obsessive compulsive disorder because hoarders will obsess over collecting things, even sometimes animals, and they cannot throw or give anything away. It's a obsessive compulsion to hoard, usually brought on by undealt with trauma, possibly involving the death of a loved one, abandoned as a child a rough divorce, and really heartbreaking events like those. The hoarder will unknowingly build a physical wall between them and the world. It's almost like they're burying their emotions instead of dealing with them, but they're burying them with physical things, old newspapers, old books, you know, stuff like that. The hoarder will unknowingly build a physical wall between them and the world, and it often pushes family and friends away because oftentimes the hoarder will be ashamed and try to hide the hoard and, you know, stop inviting people over. Also known as hoarder disorder. Police and emergency services could smell something was very wrong in this house, as when they entered, the smell of death was heavy in the stale air within the home. They follow a clear pathway through the mounds of old newspapers, spider webs, dust, old phones, books, and everything else imaginable. The clutter was so extreme that if you wanted to explore it, you would need to army crawl over the top of it and your back would be touching the roof in some spots. They see Bruce half in the hallway and half in his room. 
Bruce was dead, collapsed over a switched-on radiator, and appeared like he had been there for possibly weeks. The upper right side of his body was very charred, and his lungs and heart were badly charred as well, making an autopsy nearly impossible to find his cause of death. But recently, Bruce had told his GP about chest pains he was having, but he wouldn't accept treatment for it. So it's not a far stretch to think perhaps this was a heart attack. Bruce had inherited a very large sum of money from his family many years earlier after his mother had died who he lived with in that home. Bruce was a wealthy man. He didn't have to work. He didn't have to hold down a job. He had all the money he needed. In his will, he gave all of his money to charities and he also gave his home to the charities as well. He donated everything. A year later, police and cleaners go in to clear the home and they find slash seize 19 firearms and ammunition from the home. Five days into the cleaning process on May 29th, 2018, the cleaners are working on clearing out the third bedroom when they moved a stack of boxes. Under that stack of boxes, they found a very old rug. When they lifted up the rug, they exposed remains of a mummified human body. Wow. Imagine being those cleaners. They move this old rug. They find a mummified human body fully clothed in a seated position. Police were notified and came to investigate. Through forensic testing of DNA and fingerprints, the body was found to be that of Shane Snellman, who had been missing for 15 years. In October 2002, he was 39 years old, and it was his girlfriend who reported him missing and never heard anything back. The toxicology report stated that the presence of methylamphetamine and phetamine and ibuprofen were found in his system. It's pretty amazing that 15 years later, they can find that out, that that's still there. The autopsy showed a gunshot wound to his neck, which is what had killed him. Police found evidence that Shane was killed in the room he was found because they had discovered gunshot holes in the wall. Shane was well known to police. At the age of 15, he was charged with the murder of a homeless man, but was acquitted on those charges. After that, he was in and out of jail for drugs and theft. He had quite a lengthy record. Police believe that Shane had broken into Bruce's house sometime in October of 2002 to steal some items to sell to obtain money for his drug addiction, as his welfare payments would go into his bank account and out the same day. They suspect he was looking to make some cash for more drugs. Allegedly, Bruce caught him in the act and shot him, although none of the weapons in the home matched the bullets found in Shane. Shane's sister believes that her brother and, and Bruce knew each other and that Shane did not break into the home. After 15 long years of wondering where her brother went, she finally had some answers. It must have been extremely heartbreaking to hear about the details of her brother's death and where he had been for the last 15 years. The secrets from that night died with Bruce and we will never know what actually happened in that home in October of 2002. 
The more I read and watched on hoarding disorder, the more my heart was breaking, not just for the sufferer, but for their friends and family as well. When the compulsion gets to an extreme level, it ruins their life and the hoard controls them. Whether it's spending all their money on building up their hoard, pushing away friends and family, burying themselves alive, self-isolating behind their walls, getting sick due to unhygienic conditions, oftentimes with insects and rats nesting within the clutter and not being able to have a clear spot to lay down. I saw many people on a television show called Hoarders that lost perfectly well-functioning bathrooms and kitchens because it was so full of clutter. They couldn't cook on their stove. They couldn't use their oven. It was just full. They couldn't use their shower or their toilet because they couldn't even get into the room. People who once loved to cook now only had enough room to stand in the kitchen and make toast. And some not even that. If not given the proper mental tools and therapy, it can be devastating and overwhelming to the hoarder to try and throw anything out, giving them intense anxiety, anger, panic, and frustration. It is absolutely possible to find and heal the trauma to help them, but it takes professionals to work with them. Let's look at a case where these tools were not given, but the hoarder was faced with losing everything. This case takes place in California, USA, in a place called Galt, near Sacramento. 67-year-old Vietnam vet Joseph Corey was handed an eviction letter by the sheriff's deputy on November 27, 2012. He was being evicted for falling behind many years on payments for the home. He had been struggling with payments for almost 20 years. His wife of over 13 years and mother to his four daughters divorced him because the hoarding took over his life and their home. The home was filled with six foot stacks of garbage and he also had his six dogs and two cats that lived in the home with him. The animals were kept in cages filled in their own waste. But Joseph believed they were all cared for, and despite the conditions in which they were kept in, he did love them. This happens a lot in these situations. The hoarder can't see the damage being done by the compulsion. Their reality is a lot different from someone looking in on the situation. The kitchen was unusable and covered in rotting food. It was nearly impossible to get around the inside of the house. When served with the eviction notice, Joseph was compliant, but he was really worried about his animals. He had expressed that to the officer. After being evicted, he snuck back into his home. Animal control was notified, and the next day, 45-year-old Roy Markham, who worked for animal control, was sent over to retrieve the animals, and he was accompanied by two locksmiths. As Roy was at the door opening the locks to enter the home, he had no idea Joseph was inside pointing a gun at him through the door. Joseph took the shot as Roy was trying to enter the home and it struck Roy in the torso and he inevitably died from that gunshot wound. This then caused a standoff for 17 hours, including 100 police officers and three SWAT teams starting at 1.30 p.m. It was seeming like nothing would make Joseph come out of his house. They tried a hostage negotiator. They called his phone hundreds of times. And at 1030 at night, they even tried tear gas and flashbangs, tossing them into the house. But even that didn't draw him out. 
Finally, at 5 a.m., Joseph went into his garage to check on his dogs, and the SWAT team was lying in wait and managed to taser him and remove him from the home. He was charged with first-degree murder. His defense argued he was mentally ill, and they even had a hoarding expert who works to rehabilitate hoarders testify that Joseph would have been acting on fight-or-flight instinct as his hoard was being threatened. October 30th, 2014, Joseph was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. December 30th, 2014, just a few months later, he died in San Quentin Prison of Natural Causes. Maybe he died of heartbreak. This really sad story. I mean, Roy had to lose his life just doing his job, going to collect some animals to save him. And then Joseph lost his life by being sentenced to life in prison and then dies in prison a few months later. Roy did not deserve to be killed for doing his job, and Joseph never received the mental health help he needed to help him cope with his compulsion. If Joseph's condition would have been recognized and he had been given the help he needed, the death of Roy could have potentially been prevented. While preparing this episode, I watched the TV show Hoarders for three days. I binged this show. I watched so many episodes of this show, so many situations. Um, and on it, they have a, a psychologist come in and offer counseling to help them work through whatever might, you know, be holding them back from living a clutter-free life. So this is where I've gained most of my information on this. This and, and some websites about the disorder, but mostly this television show. So I watched this show for days on end. I just wanted to get a better understanding of what these situations are like. When looking up cases, I discovered a case of a man who was actually on the TV show Hoarders and he was receiving help for his hoarding disorder. This is, so I'm going to talk to you about the case of 59-year-old Glenn Brittner. August of 2015, Glenn was living in Llano, California, Llano, California, L-L-A-N-O. Um, let me know how that's pronounced. Um, he had previously been on the TV show for hoarding, but not garbage or things, but hundreds of rats. And he allowed these rats free range in his home. Glenn was a widower and seemed now to give his love to his rats, but they had taken over his life, his home, and his mind. He reached out for help and was on the show in 2011 where he was convinced to give them up as many of them were sick and he realized um, they and him needed help. Glenn was able to give up the rats and reclaim his life and home. August 18th of 2015, Glenn did not show up to work and this immediately alarmed his coworker. Glenn was not the type of guy to just not show up to work. So his, his, you know, his coworker was very alarmed by this. He's like, where's Glenn? I'm gonna go look for him. His coworker and Glenn, they had owned and operated a domestic water delivery company together for 30 years. And it was very strange for Glenn not to show up. The coworker went to Glenn's house and found Glenn unconscious, tied to his wheelchair and bleeding from his head. Glenn was airlifted to hospital, but died August 28th from blunt force trauma. 
His televisions, power tools, and $2,000 was missing from the home, and there was no evidence of forced entry. Police believe someone came into Glenn's home, tied him up, beat him over the head, and robbed him. To this day, the case remains open, and the perpetrator or perpetrators have never been caught. This case is just so sad for many reasons. Glenn was such a sweet, loving man, and he had managed to overcome his hoarding disorder and get his life back just to be stolen from him for a couple thousand dollars, you know, some TVs and some power tools. The next case I'm going to talk about is also still active. In 2017, 68-year-old Chuck Frary, living in Denver, Colorado, USA, had not been seen by his neighbor for a while. He had children but never seen them as his hoarding had pushed them away. Uh, They had no idea how bad it had gotten because Chuck wouldn't allow them into the home. His daughter had tried to help him and even had a counseling session with him, but it just ended up getting ugly when she tried to throw away an old piece of paper. Chuck suffered from mental health issues such as OCD, ADHD, depression, anxiety, and hoarding disorder. He had pushed nearly everyone out of his life and didn't even have friends in the community. February 4th, 2017, Chuck's neighbor was growing concerned as she hadn't seen him out around his home in a while and she called police to tell them she thinks he might be dead in his house and she would hate for a year to pass before anyone finds him because he's a recluse. Officers were sent over to do a welfare check, and although they could push the door open and peer inside, all they could see was mountains of garbage piled up and just, and they just left the property. They couldn't see in further. They didn't know what else to do. Nine days later, Chuck's son had a knock on his door at nine o'clock at night. When he opened the door, a man told him his name was Mike and that his father may be missing um, and that he was a neighbor of Chuck's. Um, and that they hadn't seen him in months. Chuck's son, Brian, said it was weird. And the next day on February 14th, they reported their father missing. Along with police, Brian and his brother, Kevin, go over to their father's house with them to investigate. They couldn't believe the state of the house and how bad the hoard had gotten. They crawled and struggled through what was, you know, physically possible to get through, but they didn't have any luck finding Chuck. They went back in March and searched the house again, including the living room, and found nothing. Winter slowly left and turned into spring, and then summer, and still no Chuck. October 26, 2017, the leaves were changing color and gracefully falling to the ground. The crisp air of fall was creeping in. The days were shorter. The nights were longer. Big orange pumpkins with spooky faces carved into them decorated neighbors' porches and lawns, each one with a flickering candle illuminating it. Scary movies were being played in homes. Costumes were being prepared. And children were excited for trick-or-treating. But Chuck's house was still dark and there was no sign of him. So police and health inspectors were checking the house again as a few months earlier in the summer, a detective had written that he believed there was a dead body inside the home. But why they had never brought in cadaver dogs to sniff around is beyond me and no clear answer has been given on that matter. Public health assessed the home and concluded proper protective gear would be needed to enter the home. 
They didn't return with the proper safety gear until four months later on February 22nd, 2018. 30 minutes into the search of the home and 383 days after the first call to police, Chuck was found mummified under a pile of his hoard in the living room. His body had been there so long that the coroner could not establish the cause of death. I read in an article that it is believed Chuck was last seen in October 2016, five months before the neighbor, the first call went in, you know, into police, five months before that first call. Chuck's sons were confused as they had previously searched the living room a year earlier and couldn't help but wonder if he was placed in the home after the search or if he was just so completely covered by the horde they couldn't see him, but they have questions remaining about that. Poor Chuck, buried alive by his compulsion. This is another reason why hoarding is dangerous, because even if he had been able to call emergency services, it would have been impossible for the responders to reach him with the equipment they needed to help save his life through the mounting hoard. February 2019, the house was torn down and demolished. This case is still active and has yet to be closed. It is possible that Chuck's son saw him and didn't know it, you know, maybe didn't know it was him. Our brains have a way of protecting us from trauma, as we will see in this next case. For this next case, we're going to go over to Detroit, Michigan, USA, where Sally and Lorraine Honeycheck had been living in their home for 70 years. They were sisters and they lived together. And I love that. And I think that's so awesome. So they had been living there for 70 years and at least Sally, I know, I'm not sure about Lorraine, but I know for sure Sally was active in the church and community. Sally Honeycheck loved Avon makeup, getting her hair done every week, dressing nicely, supporting her church, just a wonderful woman. The outside of their home was kept up with cut lawns and flower beds in which the sisters would plant with each other. But inside they had been harboring a secret the sisters were hoarding for many years nobody knew the condition in which they were living until november 10th 2018 when sally called an ambulance for her beloved sister lorraine who was having a stroke when paramedics arrived they were taken by surprise at the state of the inside of the home It would have been incredibly hard for them to reach Lorraine to help her. In fact, they were so concerned about the condition of the home, they sent another ambulance over to retrieve Sally from the home as they feared for her safety being in it. The next day, November 12th, Sally checked herself out of the hospital, telling them she needed to go feed her dog. They had expressed how they wanted to help her, but I'm sure unknowing, unknowingly to them, this would have made Sally very anxious. Sally's cousin, Linda Kajma, would call and speak to Sally at least once a month. And when her calls went unanswered, she was worried. By November 26, Linda called police and requested a welfare check. Police went over to the home and told Linda there was no answer and no sign of the dog either, which alarmed Linda even more because the dog would bark if someone knocked on the door. 
Nine o'clock that night, Linda went to check on her cousin with police again. So first time Linda's going there, police are going back for the second time that day. She could not see any movement inside the home and she couldn't hear the honey checks dog barking. Linda requested the police break in to look inside, but they told her they could not do that. Instead, they told her to file a missing persons report. Three days later, Linda received a call from the detective and he was informing her that they would not proceed with the missing persons report as Sally had checked herself out of the hospital, which doesn't make sense to me at all because what if she was taken while on her way home or what if something happened? Like a missing person is a missing person. I'm not sure the reason for that, but this was a tipping point for Linda. She was now sure the police would not help her so she devised a plan the next day she calls police and tells them i'm breaking in to that house and i'm sure the police were like no but okay so december 1st linda gets a friend to come over with her who is a retired detective let me paint you a word picture of how i think this looked going down using the information that I had access to. So Linda suits up full hazy, full hazmat suit. She is swinging bolt cutters and she gets through one door in the back of the house where she is met with another door, which she then kicks open and kicks her way through stuff, all the hoarding, you know, very heroically looking for her cousin. Um, and when she gets in there, she had no idea what it was going to be like and she was facing a massive horde living in a very rundown house and linda was there looking for a body this woman is amazing i love her charisma and dedication to her cousins she was like the police won't help me where's my hazmat suit and my bolt cutters because i'm going in yes so now, now she's in the kitchen. She kicked her way in. She's in the kitchen. She's looking around. She sees piles of garbage and junk and a blue lawn chair in the kitchen with a Halloween decoration of a skeleton wearing a wig and thinks, man, that's weird. But she keeps looking. She keeps going through the house. She finds the Honey Checks Rottweiler dead in the next room and she heads back outside she's like yikes dead dog i need a breather so by the time she headed outside the police had arrived and and were standing talking to her detective friend and she had told her friend and police she couldn't find sally and the police said they would go in and help her look they enter through the back door that linda had previously opened with her bolt cutters and amazing kicking in skills police say linda She's right there. That Halloween decoration was not a decoration at all. Sally had died in that blue lawn chair where her sister had recently had her stroke. Sally's body was exposing ribs and bones because her dog and the rats in, in the house, they had been eating her dead body. What I think happened the first time Linda saw sally's body and and classified it as a halloween decoration i think that her brain wouldn't allow her to register what she was looking at the first time she saw it and put it in the category of halloween decorations so it made sense but also her brain was shielding her from trauma our brains are very amazing like that 
It's incredible. Linda was taken out of the house as she was in shock and became very confused and angry and needed a moment to process the situation. Sally's body was removed from the home and underwent an autopsy to which was discovered she had died of natural causes. Linda was then tasked with the major job of clearing out the home which had been infested with rats. What an incredibly sad ending to Sally's long life. A photo found which was taken in the home in 2003 showed a tidy, well-kept home, and it wasn't until Sally retired that the hoarding got out of control. In 2019, Lorraine, Sally's sister who had been admitted to hospital for the stroke, was now living in a nursing home and getting the assistance she needs. It can be very hard to help friends and family who have hoarding disorder because they will keep it a secret. But the first sign that, you know, it's getting really bad, it's getting out of control, is that they won't allow you to enter their home anymore. And if you're like, hey, I'm going to come over for a cup of coffee, they'll be like, oh, why don't we go to a cafe or why don't we meet at this park? Or basically, why don't we go anywhere else instead of my home? And if you knock on their door, they will come outside to talk to you and close the door by behind them, not allowing you to see inside. According to the recovervillage.com, there are five levels of hoarding, five being the most extreme as it can get, and one being the least. I'm going to run through these levels just so you know the signs. Level one, light amount of clutter, no odor, all doors and windows still accessible. Level two, starts to get worse with clutter. Pet waste on floor, overflowing garbage, dirty food prep area, and evidence of rodents living in the home, like rat and mouse droppings scattered about in cupboards, on counters, window sills, stuff like that. Level three has all of that, plus unusable bathrooms due to clutter blocking the sinks, showers, and toilets, and also the home will have a strong odor of garbage and perhaps um, pet and rodent waste. Level four has all of that, plus no clean dishes or cutlery, at least one exit is blocked, uh, bug infestation, and nests. Level five, being the worst, has all of that, Plus, mass amounts of clutter blocking off all doors and windows. Maybe you have a skinny little path to get in and out, but the door doesn't even open all the way. And you'll see them coming out sideways. Uh, rotting food around the home, uh, not just in the kitchen, but everywhere. They'll just be rotting food on piles. There'll be more animals living in the home than what council will allow, or even animals that aren't even allowed in the area. So like say it's in like a city and you're not allowed to have goats, like people will have goats and chickens and animals in the horde. Um, And there will be human waste in bottles and bags because they no longer have access to their toilet. At this level, it will mean there will be no clear floor visible, no clear surfaces, and to get around the home, you would need to crawl over top of all of the hoard to the point your head and back touches the ceiling. I will be posting photos of the homes of the hoarders I talked about here today so you can see what I'm talking about. If you know a hoarder and want to help them, you better proceed with caution because going in with a strong hand and throwing things away will only make their compulsion worse. 
it must be their decision to throw things away. And most of the time, therapy must be undergone before they can take the next step. As I was watching The Hoarding Show, I also stumbled across a show called Obsessive Compulsive Cleaners. Uh, where they take a very, very tidy person. Sometimes they have have been diagnosed with OCD. Um, They just have this, you know, cleaning compulsion. So they take the person with the cleaning compulsion and they pair them with a person who has a hoarding disorder or, you know, might be approaching that, might be a level one or a level two. And they put them together and they get the the really tidy clean person to clean the not so tidy clean messy home and the same thing kept happening in every episode the compulsive cleaner would start going through the home and ask the messy person hey can i throw this old bag away or whatever object or you know garbage or whatever it was and the homeowner would the person who owns owns the mess they would you know make excuses for every single item about why they can't throw it away like oh no i haven't gone um through that room yet so don't throw anything out in there or i have to go through that bag i don't know what's in it or i was just looking for that or i just bought that or oh no i really need this you'll hear that over and over and over again some episodes they could only clear one or two rooms of the hoard but they couldn't do any more of the house because the person couldn't let go of it. So it just all ended up making another room worse because they just consolidated everything into a couple rooms, giving them like maybe a bathroom, a living room and a bedroom clear, but their kitchen would still be jam packed and in the yard and stuff like that. And in some of the episodes I watched, I think it was in the later season of Hoarder. Well, maybe not later, maybe like three seasons in they start bringing in a leading therapist to work with the, you know, the person who has the hoarding disorder so that he he could help them recognize the trauma causing the disorder, giving them the tools they need to start clearing the clutter, throwing things away and conquering this on their own. It's very fascinating anthropology stuff. If you want to give it a watch, it's on YouTube. And I think the full name of the show is Hoarders Buried Alive. So that concludes this week's episode. I jam-packed it with five different cases. It was very interesting to read all of this because usually I focus on one case, but this time I got to, you know, kind of thumb through five. While preparing this week's cases and looking through all the information and shows on hoarding, it motivated me to clear out my kitchen cupboards. And I threw out a garbage bag worth of clutter, which I didn't even know I had. And honestly, I am not one for clutter. I keep a pretty tidy home. I didn't even know it was there. So maybe this will inspire you to grab a bag and look through your cupboards. It feels really good, I promise. And remember, you don't need things to hold on to memories. You will always have those memories safe in your head. You don't need clutter. To clutter, I say hell no. Thanks for listening. See you next week. In here, it's so hot in here. February. February. On February. February. Oh my God, what a hard month. February. 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 February.